morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 28. Second Chronicles, chapter 28. I <clears throat> I was uh, wrestling around a little bit with uh, a uh, um, you know trying to figure out whether or not I was going to how I was going to title this message and. And uh, I was bouncing around back and forth, but this one title just kept coming up and just kept coming up and just kept coming up, and everything else seemed forced. And uh, and I decided, well, you know what? I'll just go with that title. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is How to Ruin Your Life. And you're like, well, that's going to be cheery. <laughs> but, you know, in Scripture, Paul says that all the things that were written are written for our learning. And we have to be able to learn from what is put in the Word of God, these historical accounts. They're not just there to, to, to give some fancy history lesson to us. They're not there to just kind of fill pages because, you know, God had a history requirement in putting the book together to get it published. There was nothing of that nature. It was put there so that we as believers could get something from it. And sometimes when we look at things, sometimes we may read through it a bit casually, but I want us to really focus this morning on one specific life. This king, this King Ahaz. Now, if you know anything about scripture, you know King Ahaz was not a good character. And as a matter of fact, he was one of the worst kings. In his death, they didn't even bury him in the sepulcher of the kings. They buried him somewhere else because they didn't even deem him worthy enough to put in there. But what we find here is his life gives an outline of how to effectively destroy it and destroy those that are around you. And I want to focus on one verse, and this is going to be uh, uh, actually three verses that really kind of show the nature of what's going on. And in, in Second Chronicles chapter 28, I want you to look down in verse 19. <clears throat> in verse 19, it says, For the Lord brought Judah low because of King Ahaz, because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. Here he is. He, he's actually causing others to fall into the same sin. To, to, to bring to light some shame and, 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 and show the guiltiness of what they had done. In verse, uh, uh, let's go down there to verse 25. And in verse 25, and it says, uh, in, in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So not only is he sinning, but now he is openly defying and provoking God. We've talked about provocation before. And, 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 and you know, the, the, the mindset can be, you know, you think about the, the road trip where the, the kids are in the back and, and one, one kid looks at the other kid and then the other one starts screaming, oh, he looked at me. No, oh, you're touching me. No, don't. I'm not touching you. You're touching me. I'm not touching you. Back and forth. That provocation. But here he is. He's actually doing this to provoke God to anger. To provoke him to anger. But the verse that I want to focus on is found in verse 23. And it says there, For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the king of Syria uh, uh, help them, therefore I will sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But I want you to see here, 
But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. The ruin of him and all Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you again, Lord, for the message that we have before us. I pray, Lord, that we would take this message, we would learn from it, we would see the examples that you've given to us here in, in Scripture, that, Lord, we would analyze our lives, and that, Lord, if there be any secret thing or hidden thing in our hearts, Lord, that could cause us to err in the same way here, that, Lord, you would reveal it to us, that you would convict us of that, and that, Lord, we would repent and confess and turn to you, Lord, and desire to have a life that would please you and be well-pleasing in your sight. I thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us. I thank you again for the great testimony that we heard from Brother Tarazas. I thank you for those young uh, souls that were saved. And, Lord, I pray and pray, pray for them, Lord, uh, that they would just continue in your word and continue in your scripture, that, Lord, God would be the priority of their lives, that, Lord, they would just uh, seek to please him in all that they say and do. That, Lord, it wouldn't just be a, a, a temporary thing, Lord, but it would be that life-changing, life-altering turn to you to bring you honor, glory, and praise. I pray that we would do that this morning, Lord, with our hearts as we listen to you and your Holy Spirit. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> we find here in this passage of Scripture... This King Ahaz. And let's take a look at verse 1 of this passage. It says, And Ahaz was 28, 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Himnon, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree, wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. And they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captive and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. Horpika, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah a hundred and twenty thousand in one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God their fathers. And Zichri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew uh, Messiah, the king's son, and uh, Azarachim, the governor of the house, and Elkanah that was next to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren, 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. Let's skip down here a little bit further, and let's go down to verse 16. And in verse 16, it says, In the time that did King Ahaz, the son of the king of Assyria, to help him. For again, the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines had also invaded the cities of the low country of the south of Judah and taken uh, uh, Beth Shemesh and Ajalon and Gedaroth and Shoko with the villages thereof and Timnah with the villages thereof, Gimzo also and the villages thereof, and they dwelt there. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, and he made Judah uh, naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. And Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him and strengthened him not. 
For he has took away a portion of the house of the Lord, not a house of the king and of the princes, and gave it to the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. And in the time of his distress, he did trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and said, Because the gods of Syria, or the kings of Syria, help them, therefore I'll sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. and every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods, and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now we have a parallel passage over in Second Kings chapter 16 of these things. And there's a little bit more detail that is revealed in some of these situations. But what we see here is that Ahaz has created a horrible situation. And if you read through that passage, not only did Syria oppress him, his brethren, the northern tribe, the kings of Israel, the king of Israel oppressed him and took away 200,000 captives, killed 120,000 in one day, killed people that were close to him, including his own son, his governor, and that which was next to his, next to his throne, people that were of his administration. And then we see not only that, but the Edomites coming, and then the Philistines coming, and then he goes to the king of Assyria and says, hey, will you help me? I'm going to pay you all this money. I'm going to give you all these gifts. And then the king of Assyria didn't do anything. What did he do? He afflicted him. He's got, he's got a ton of enemies outside. And what are they doing? They're coming in and they're pillaging that kingdom. They're pillaging Jerusalem and Judah and, the, and Benjamin. They're taking away all of those things away to the point of where there's nothing left. The king is in, is in great distress, but rather than do anything to, to, to try to please the Lord, to correct the actions, he just says he goes in deeper and deeper into sin. And this morning, I just want to take a look at Ahaz's life and realize that the choices that he was making, these choices built up to that being a ruin of his life. To that being a ruin of his life. We find there in verse 2, the one thing that he goes about doing here is he walks in the ways of the, of the kings of Israel. Now, the kings of Israel, if you remember, there were, the nation of Israel was split in two. After Solomon reigned and, and his son Rehoboam came in, uh, there was a, a, an issue where he said he was going to tax the children of Israel more. There was a tax revolt that broke the country apart, the nation apart. God had predicted it. It was part of the punishment that was given to Solomon because of his sin and iniquity and bringing all sorts of gods into Israel, which he wasn't supposed to do. And the end result is we see there's ten tribes that go to the northern kingdoms, and then there's two tribes that go to the southern. And what we find is, is that these ones that were of the ten tribes of the north, they were constantly, and from the very beginning, were into idol worship and into other gods. The very first king that they had of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, he comes in and what does he do? He doesn't want people to go down to Israel because he fears losing his kingdom. So what does he do? He creates two uh, two areas where they can go worship God in uh, in, in Dan and Beersheba. And those, the, the God that he created was a golden calf and said, you can worship there. 
And that's the same as worshiping God. And it wasn't. It was completely the opposite of it. If you will, it was kind of a religion of convenience because uh, of what we see happening there. But the one thing that we very clearly see as far as what's going on with, with, with them is they went into the areas of sin, iniquity, and idolatry. They very quickly progressed into a, a, a deep, dark hole with those things. And what does this King Ahaz do? He had a good, godly father. Now, he didn't do everything that was right, but he did please the Lord. He did try to do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. But the end result is, is Ahaz says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow after anything that was put before me. I'm not going to follow after, uh, you know, who my, my great, 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 great granddaddy was of, of David and follow after him unto where the Lord says about David that he was a man after his own heart. He decided he's not going to do that. He's going to follow in the ways of the abominable sins that they were doing up north. Who's going to forsake the God of Israel. And we find here that very clearly in verse 2, it says, For he walked in the ways of the king of Israel. And he made also uh, molten images for Balaam. I want you to understand this. One of the things that we wind up seeing with all of this is not only does he go through this process uh, of starting off with Balaam, but as you read through this, he goes over and he starts dealing with the sons of Himnom, which is where Molech was and all of those. And those individuals were disgusting, horrible type people that would go and they would offer their children unto this false god by burning them in fire. And we're not talking about, you know, you know, in a figurative sense. This was a physical, actual, literal sense that they were doing this according to scripture. And he had his children go through that. Not only is he following Balaam, but then he starts following Himnam, and then he starts following the gods of Assyria, and pretty soon he's multiplied to himself so many gods. In every corner of Jerusalem, he's got an altar to worship them. But the one thing that we see is he starts following the ways of Israel, and if you will, the ways of Israel had become the ways of the world. Because they had taken on everything else around them. They were worshiping other gods. They were accepting of other, you know, gods into their, uh, into their fold, allowing that to happen, allowing that to exist when God had forbidden it to happen. And we find one of the very first things that he did is he starts following, if you will, those ways of the world and he stops following or not, doesn't even go into the ways of following God. He doesn't even go into the ways of following God. I'll tell you, one of the very first ways that you can begin to ruin your life is to stop following God. Stop following God. Start following the ways of the world. You start following the ways of the world, that's a good way to ruin your life. That's a good way to destroy it. It's a good way to wake up one day and realize that you've come to a ruin of yourself. I want you to understand that, because that concept of the word ruin... When we talk about what that word ruin means, we're talking about desolation and destruction. Archaeologists go and whether they dig up, they dig up ruins. They're not digging up well, perfectly preserved cities. They're digging up things that have been bombed, shelled, uh, destroyed, sacked, sieged, way, laid waste by, by time and everything else. And they go through and they go pick out all these things. 
But it's nothing of what it used to be. It's just a shell. Foundations that have been blown apart. Buildings that have collapsed. Pillars that have been toppled. That's what a ruin is. And here he's saying, here's the beginning of it. The way to get to that ruin is you start following the ways of the world. You start having the worldly mindset. You start following the worldly path, the worldly patterns. And the end result is you will ruin your life. You'll be plagued by all sorts of problems. Whether it's Syrians, Israelites, Edomites, Philistines, or Assyrians, it doesn't matter. You're going to plague yourself with problems. The next thing we see that he did here to ruin his life is in verse 3, Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Himnon and burnt his children in the fire. You know what he did? He took what God had given him and what is the greatest gift that, 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 that a parent can ever receive is their child. And he doesn't value it. That life is of no value to him. And he willingly offers up children to destruction. I'll tell you the one thing that he began to do here that led to this ruin, that not only do we see him walking in the ways of the world, but he begins to forsake and, if you will, despise what God had given him. You realize that God, it says that God hated Esau. Why did God hate Esau? Because he despised his birthright. So there's Jacob and Esau, and Esau's the one that has the birthright because he was born first. Esau despised being born first, despised that blessing that he had, despised what God had given him. And what did he do? He sold it for a bowl of pottage. He sold it for, for soup. He sells it and he despised it. He later regretted it, but it was too late. He despised what God gave him. He has, if you will, despised what God gave him. Why? Because he was willing to burn it with fire. Now I dare say there is no, there is no parent in here today that would ever do that to their child. But I will tell you this. Sometimes we despise what God gives us. We, we, we don't value the gifts of God. We don't value what he, what, what he bestows upon us. And sometimes it may be we, we, we don't value it the way he values it. You know, in, in certain situations, people can have, you know, a, 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 if you will, a non, this mindset of that their salvation isn't valuable. Well, how can you get that way? Well, you start thinking about the ways of the world and pretty soon that salvation is no longer important to you. It's no longer a gift of God. It no longer matters to you. It becomes a burden. It becomes oppressive. It becomes, oh man, it's like God is just so bringing me down. I just want to have fun. I just want to just, you know, be myself. I just want to be able to do those things and just be free. But God's, you know, oh man, he's got his thumb on me. That's a person that despises what God gave him. God is not a downer. You know what God is? God is the only one that will bring joy to your life. God is the one where you will realize true happiness. God is the one where you will only have hope. Everything else will bring you ruin and destruction. 
How many, uh, uh, Brother Tarazas would probably say a good hearty amen with this. How many a soul has sat there and said, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do what I want to do. And then when they come to the end of themselves, such as the prodigal, and they realize that they have nothing left, they realize how hopeless they are. And how much they need God. Hey, has never realized that. When the situation became hopeless, he went more hopeless. He sat and thought there to do himself more sin than what he had done before. I'll begin multiplying my sins. Why? He'd already compromised. He'd already burned his children in fire. The horrific thought of that just is, I mean, just is, is enough to make you sick. And he decides, well, I've already done that. Might as well just continue to do more, right? Just might as well go the next step. I'm this far. Why don't I just continue? He did not value what God gave him. In verse 16, I want you to see here, at some point in time when he begins to become oppressed by the people around him and he begins to realize he's, he's losing these battles and he begins to realize that, you know, life isn't exactly what he thought it was going to be. I mean, to, to, to lose 120,000 of your soldiers in one day and then to have 200,000 of your people taken captive, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Could you imagine the entire area right here in the, in, in, in the southwest Washington area, Vancouver, Ridgefield, and all the surrounding communities, all of a sudden 120,000 of them are killed and then everyone's taken captive? What a desolation this place would be. He realizes he's got some problems. So what does he do? He does exactly what I see so many people do to bring ruin in their life. They try to find help in the wrong resources. They try to find help in the ways of the world. They try to find help uh, without valuing what God has, has given to them, such as the Word of God. And when he did, he began to seek out wrong help. In verse 16 here, it says, And at that time did King Ahaz send to the kings of Assyria to help him. He sends this this gift to him. What does he do? He goes in and he takes as a gift for them all of the gold and the precious things that were in the house of God. He ransacks that. And then he goes in and he takes away his stuff and the inheritance of his children, the princes. And he takes all those things and he gives it as a gift. He's giving it away saying, look, here's all this stuff. Will you come help me? And you know what the Assyrians did? They received the gift. They're like, thank you very much. But no, we're not going to help you. Thank you for the nice gift. No, we're not going to return it. As a matter of fact, how about this? How about we come to your doorstep and start laying siege to your cities? You know what they did? It was a sign of weakness to them. It was a sign of weakness. Because the Assyrians came along, and you know what they did? They conquered the Syrians, and then they conquered Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and they were right at the back door. Now granted, they were conquered by the Babylonians eventually, but they were the at the top. They were the ones that began a lot of the persecution of the nation of Israel. 
And here they are, and they're growing in size, and they see now's an opportunity, now's the time. Now we can go in and we can start making this life, you know, that person's life miserable. Why? Because they're weak. Because they, they don't have any strength left in them. They're pillaging all of the things of their God because they've forsaken God at this point in time. So what difference does it make? And they go in and they're like, if they're not fearing God, why should we fear their God? And they go in and the purpose behind what he had intended was to solicit help led to more distress, is what the the word of God says. It led to more distress. In verse 20, it says the king of Syria uh, came unto him and distressed him and strengthened him not. He began to weaken him more and more. And I tell you, when we go to the wrong things for help, that's what happens in our life. How many times have I seen people go to the way of the world in in psychology and Freudian psychology and blame it on your father and blame it on your mother and blame it on everyone else but take you instead of taking responsibility for our own sins. Blame it on everything else and say, well, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. I was born that way. No, no, no. At some point in time, we have to take an accountability for the choices that we make. And when people go and they try to seek help of the world and they try to seek it without the help of God and they try to do it outside of the word of God, they try to do it without the Holy Spirit, they try to do it without Christ, they try to do it without God anywhere being involved in it, the end result is it brings more distress. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. You sit down in a counseling session and you say they've got these issues and you ask them, okay, what have you tried? And they give you a litany of things that they've tried. And you ask them, knowing the answer already because they're sitting in front of you. And how has that helped you? And what's the answer? It hasn't helped me at all. It hasn't helped me at all. He sought the wrong help and it brought him distress. I'll tell you, when you start seeking any other help other than God, you will find the ruin of yourself real quick. You'll find the ruin of yourself real quick. Looking down there at verse 21, and it says, And Ahaz took away a portion of the house of the Lord, and out of the house of the king, and the house of the princes, gave it into uh, the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. You know what he did? He gave away what he, what was not his to give. He gave away what was not his to give. That was God's. That was the Lord's. That's what he gave to him specifically and said, that's for mine. He sanctified it and he consecrated it for only to be used in the house of the Lord. And I will tell you this, time and time again, a good way to, 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 to ruin your life is to give away what's not yours to give. You know what that is? Your heart and your life. Your heart and your life. Your heart doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Your life, you were brought with a price. You are not your own. And what is that? That's the shed blood of Jesus Christ that paid for you. It's not our life to give. So many a young person has gotten tra- trapped in that mindset. Well, it's my life to live. No, it's not. Who told you that lie? 
It's God's. If he saved your soul and you have a home in heaven, you need to be seeking how to please him with your day-to-day life. You need to be seeking how you're going to live for him on a day-to-day basis. You need to be seeking about doing his will. Now look, he gives us a lot of freedom. He gives us the ability to make some choices, even even about careers and what we do and things of that nature, where we live and houses that we buy. He gives us things, but he gives us standards and patterns and, and principles by which we live to seek him in everything that we say and do. But I will tell you this, when we take what is God's and we give it away in such a way that we take, you know, a young person giving away their heart to someone else, that they think may be a spouse that may not be the right spouse for them because that spouse has no desire to get near to the Lord, has no desire to grow in Christ. You don't give your heart away that way. People will say, well, my heart's broken because of that. Well, then before you do anything, you need to check out that person's testimony. Young people that are here, I'll tell you this. Before you even start thinking about even remotely dating or courting or whatever you want to call it, all right, you ask the question first. That person that you're interested in, and they kind of like, you you look at them and you go, oh, they're kind of nice. And then they look back at you and they go, oh, hey, you know. And then you're like, oh, wow, they noticed me. And you're like, oh, oh, you know, and then pretty soon you gravitate towards each other. You know, the first words out of your mouth need to be, are you saved? (laughs) And you're like, well, that might make it awkward. What's awkward? Asking that question up front or finding it out 10 years down the road that that person never trusted Christ, never had an intention of growing near Christ. And now you've got an awkward situation in your marriage. Which one's more awkward? You know what? You should ask him. Could you tell me about the time that you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Start there. That's an excellent foundation. You're like, well, I may not get the the, the the girl that I want. I may not get the guy that I want. I, Well, okay, you know what? You may have to wait. You might have to just let the Lord handle it. <gasps> Shocker. <clears throat> Shocker. I'll, I'll gladly tell this. I went on a couple of dates before I, I met my wife, and I and I came back home after one of them, and I sat down, and I just remember sitting on my bed going, Lord, that was an absolute disaster. I don't ever want to do that again. I would rather go into combat and be shot at. <laughs> I was like, this is stupid. I've done a lot of stupid things, and this was really stupid. <clears throat> and it was, I mean, it was just, it was just a harmless date, you know? And I was just like, this is not what I want. And I said, Lord, if you want me to be married, you're going to have to provide it. If not, I'm totally willing to be celibate and uh, solitary for the rest of my life because I will love you and love you only, and that's it. Yeah. And you know what happened? God provided, yeah. God provided. Got a feisty little Korean. <laughs> and she's good for me. She's good for me. Hopefully I'm good for her. But you know, but the idea and the concept is, is you know what? We, it's not ours to give away. Our life isn't ours to give away. You know what happens when you take something that doesn't belong to you? What does God call that? Stealing. What does the world call that? Stealing. We're robbing God. A good way to ruin your life? Rob God. 
Rob God the opportunity to work in your life. Rob God the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit work on you and change you. Rob God from the will that he has desired for your life. Rob God by living your own will. Verse 23. It says, For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, and smote the, uh, smote, uh, which smote him, and said, Because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. I'll tell you this. You know, the one thing that he did is he began to worship the world's gods. He began to worship the world's gods. Over there in Second Kings chapter 16, it, it tells the story of how he, he went and he asked the first time, and they said no. So he decides to go to Assyria himself. He goes over to Assyria and he sees this, this altar to a false god, and he comes back and he tells the, the, the high priest, I want you to make me that altar because God's altar is not good enough. This is the altar that I want. And then he goes in and he begins to rearrange the things in the temple area and the furniture and how he, how he was going to worship God. Or I should say other gods that he thought were going to help him because they helped the Assyrians. Because they helped the Syrians. Because they helped everyone else. And God wasn't helping him. Well, God wasn't helping him because he forgot God a long time ago. He forgot God a long time ago. He had no desire to walk in the ways of God. He didn't value what God gave him. He didn't seek God when he was in distress and in help and needed help. He gave away what wasn't his to give. And the end result is he starts worshiping everything else. He worships a whole slew of other gods. And here he is and sacrificing in every area. And it says that he, in verse 24, and he made it altars in every corner of Jerusalem in the end of that verse. He, he, he decided he was going to do it his own way. Do you know what he did? He changed the way he worshiped God. He did away with worshiping God. He worshiped everything else. I'll tell you this, this happens a lot. People will get to a point where they ruin their lives. Why? Because they worship everything else but God. They worship family, they worship career, they worship their hobbies, they worship uh, stuff, they worship things, they worship uh, status and prestige, they worship their own pride, they worship themselves. They worship, I mean, they worship another uh, person, a man or a woman. They, I mean, they, they worship everything, but they don't worship God. I'll be a ruin in your life real quick. You'll soon come to the end of yourself when you realize you haven't given any worship to the Lord that loved you and saved you. The Lord that gave you life. The one that holds every particle and atom of your being together. In verse 24, <clears throat> says, and Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. He takes everything else that was left over and he cuts it up and he begins to use it for his own things. But I want you to see here something here that is one area where you will find the ruin of yourself very quickly and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. You want to ruin your life? Shut God out. 
Shut them out. Don't listen to them. Don't go to church. Don't pray. Don't read your Bible. Don't think godly thoughts. Don't have godly desires in your heart. Don't set your affections on things above. You ruin your life real quick. I've seen many a Christian do it. Something happens and they decide they're going to walk away from God. And they think everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. It's not. You'll never find yourself more isolated when you shut God out of your life. And the amazing thing is, is that God will let those doors stay shut for as long as you want. But you know what? He's always on the other side of that door. Wanting to come in and sup with you. Have fellowship with you. Restore the love. Restore relationship. To have hope again. Ahaz is a picture of somebody that was just, if you will, forsaken everything. Over there in in First Kings chapter sixteen, it actually says that he did all these things for the king of Assyria. king of Assyria was his God. The king of Assyria is who he thought could help him. The king of Assyria is who he gave everything to. The king of Assyria is who he patterned his worship after. The king of Assyria was everything that he loved. But it wasn't God. It wasn't anything that God had ordained. I want you to turn to one more passage. I want you to turn over to the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, it, it, it chronicles here, uh, Ahaz having a meeting with Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And I want you to see this in, 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 in this passage because it is so great. In, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, and came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, the uh, resident the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So here he is, he's under siege, he's got all these things going on. In verse 3 it says, And then the Lord said unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and uh, Shishjabarab, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of resin with Syria, and for the son of Remaliah. God's trying to comfort him. God's trying to say, look, if you just turn to me, you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have anything to fear. You don't have to worry about all of this. I'll take care of this. What happens here? Verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 10, here's the Lord speaking to Ahaz, and it says, More of the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, 
Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it in either the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He even refused to ask God for help. And at the end of his life, he had made the kingdom of Judah a hopeless mess. With enemies at every corner, false gods in every part, and he had destroyed. He brought to ruin. I want you to see this here. And he said, Hear ye, O house of David, for it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? He had actually wearied God. Because of the sin, because of his rebellion, because of his stubbornness, because he refused God, because he was shutting God out, he had wearied God. But I want you to see something that's amazing about this. What does he say in this next passage? And it says there, in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, isn't that interesting? In the midst of Ahaz's hopelessness, the sign of the hope of Christ is given. And I love this passage because when we're at the end of ourselves and we have made a ruin of it, Christ's promise still remains. The work of the cross still remains. The work of the resurrection still remains. The work of the grace of God supersedes and is above and is greater than any sin we have ever done. And while we may have come to an end and we have brought ruin to ourselves, and notice it wasn't just to himself, but it was to others around him because that's the way sin works. It brings ruin to other people. The hope of Christ still exists. And I will tell you today, if you are at the point of where maybe one of these things you can identify with, Maybe there's something there that you realize, maybe I'm not on a great path. Maybe there's something there that you realize I really truly need to get off this path of ruin. I'll tell you this. Look for the Savior. The Bible says, look and live. If you're a Christian here today, and maybe you're at that point, Today is the day to make sure you go back to the hope in the cross and the hope in the resurrection and the hope that can only be found in Christ. Because there is no other hope. Maybe you're at a point of where you realize that you're starting to walk around in a pile of ruins in your life. Maybe it's the time you truly need to seek Christ. Maybe you need to see that sign, if you will, that points to God and Him and Him alone. Maybe it's time to restore that relationship. Look, Christian, we we all fall, as we talked about in Sunday school. But we don't have to go to the path of ruin. 
we can still trust Christ. We can still return. And he is not very far from us. We draw nigh to him. He draws nigh to us. Let's rest in that promise. Let's not ruin our lives. Let's look to the Savior who bought us and live for him. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. And I thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just hear your word. I thank you again, Lord, for what you continue to do for us. And Lord, even when we have brought ruin upon ourselves, the gospel of Jesus Christ still stands. And Lord, I pray that we would put on that helmet of salvation and remember that we have been saved from a horrible death, that we've been saved from the consequences of our own sin, which is hell, that, Lord, we have been saved from that everlasting death that exists, that punishment. And we have been saved unto eternal life through you, in your presence. And, Lord, may we remember that. May that guide and direct our thoughts. Lord, may we always return to that cross realize the great salvation we have and the power of your resurrection so that we may live the life that you desire for us. Thank you again for all you've done for us. Pray, Lord, that as we continue this time, that if there's somebody here that has not trusted you as their Savior, or work in their heart. And, Lord, if there's somebody here that needs to get something corrected, that they will take care of it today. Not tomorrow, but right now. And I ask and I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.